We are in Acts 20, and I'm going to read 28 through 30. Uh, David covered 28 last week, but it really does tie into and play into all of what we're talking about. So Acts uh, 20, 28 through 30, just big picture again. Remember, this is Paul, his farewell address to the Ephesian elders. So uh, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He is, uh, as he says, he is bound by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So he is uh, not physically bound, but spiritually he is convict- convicted and convinced um, that he is supposed to go to Jerusalem. But also he is very well aware, from, really from the point of conversion, really when uh, God had Ananias talk to him. Uh, God told Ananias, I am going to show him how great things he must suffer for in my namesake. So from Paul's calling, Paul knew the sufferings and afflictions waited for him. And now it seems like every city he's going to, there is prophets that are popping up, prophets that are there that are uh, saying, hey, you're going to be afflicted. You're, you're bound, uh, and we're going to see even more here in, as we move on through this that there's more prophets that show up and just say that there is affliction waiting for you in Jerusalem. And Paul says, I know that in Jerusalem these afflictions await for me, but I'm going anyway because I am bound. And so he's, he's more uh, concerned with pleasing God than he is with his own safety. It's not that he's being foolish. Uh, my mom told me when I was younger, God doesn't reward stupidity, and that's because I was the guy that like jumped off the bridge and all sorts of stuff like that. And she's right. God doesn't reward stupidity, but God surely did protect me. But Paul's not like got this some death wish, okay? He, he just actually, before this, we talked about how he was escorted out of Ephesus, he, he wanted to go into the square and talk to people, but yet he was escorted out, uh, and he didn't fight hard against that, and he left. It wasn't that he was fleeing, running, scared chicken. It was that that was what seemed best, and right now what seems best, according to God's word given to him, remember he's an apostle, he receives direct revelation from God also, and he knows Jerusalem was where he's supposed to go, and he knows that this is the beginning of those chains and afflictions that are awaiting for him. He's convinced of that, and so... So this is what he's done now is he's calling the Ephesian elders. So he's, he's calling them to come to him, and this is his farewell challenge to them. He's getting ready. He's been there for about three years. He's getting ready to leave them, and uh, it's, it's an emotional time for him. You can see the love that's projected, but you can also see the challenge and the call to them to, to continue on, right? The best way you can demonstrate your love for the Lord and your love for me is to be firm and, and well-rooted in this. And so uh, verse 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves and the flock among which the Holy Spirit made you an overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage will, wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And so as David uh, covered the importance of having qualified elders, 
qualified leadership in the church. And he, addressed, he covered the qualifications for elders and what a, what a joyful privilege it is that we have a church that takes this call seriously. And we have elders that uh, are qualified. They're humans. Uh, they, they will make mistakes from time to time, but they take their job very seriously. They gather together. On Monday nights, they gather together, and they go through the church directory, and they pray over people. And so you are prayed for uh, frequently by the elders. Now, there's a lot of people in the church to pray for. I'm not saying they pray for everybody every night. I think they break it up into, into groups, right? But, but you're prayed for on a regular basis. They, they pray for each other. They hold each other accountable. These are things that are very important. And so this is the charge to Paul is, is you're the elders of the church of Ephesus and you need to stay on guard for yourselves and for the flock that God has made you an overseer of. And so that's huge. Don't, don't forget those that have been entrusted by God to guard your souls, but there's also responsibilities you have, right? And so there's lots of people willing to lead, and so you need to know what Scripture says. This doesn't negate you, uh, and so, uh, or yeah, negate you from the responsibilities. You're supposed to study to show yourself approved, right? You're supposed to have God's word hitting your heart so that you will not sin against God. You're supposed to be like the Bereans that when Paul came to them and Paul spoke to them, they checked what he was saying with scripture and validated the message he was saying and then accepted and received what he was saying. But they examined it with the scriptures. So you don't get to be ignorant. That's not the call for you. The call for you is to be chewing on meat so that you can identify and recognize. And that's part of what our leaders do is train you so that you will know what truth is. And that way you can spot what a lie is. I love hunting. I love being in the woods. Uh, I grew up really in, in uh, a very wooded area. If When I got out of school and didn't have any homework and I wasn't working, I was either hunting or fishing. And so I was in the woods, and I, I became so familiar with the woods that it's easy to th- see things that are out of place. Uh, and then, later on in life, I joined the Army, and in some of the training that for what I did is uh, we, we set booby traps, but also identifying and neutralizing booby traps. And come to find out, I was really good at identifying booby traps, why? Because walking in the woods, I was able to see things that didn't belong. Most of you probably know this, but in nature, there are very few straight lines. So if you see anything that's a straight line, it's like, wait a minute, that's out of place, right? Or some ground that's been turned up where somebody recently buried something or footprints or just there's things that you could see that it's like, wait, this isn't right. And that's because I spent so much time in the woods that when I was in the woods and I saw things that didn't belong there, they stood out, they just popped. We should be spending so much time in God's word. When somebody brings us something that is not right, that doesn't fit, it should pop right? And that's the tool God has given us is his word. If it is such a valuable thing. It is such a shame that we don't just dive so deep into it and soak it up. It's so important. And the elders are trying to train you to do that so that you can be wise in, in biblicalized, wise according to God's word. And so what we're going to talk about today is uh, 
verses 29 through 30, he says, I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away uh, the, the disciples after themselves. So let's talk about savage wolves. Paul is, is, he's not gone far from the shepherding illustration, right? Because he's told the elders that shepherd the flock that God has given you, right? And so this is that ref, uh, reference to uh, the church being the flock. And now he's talking about salvage wolves. Well, sheep had a lot of different enemies, but he uses the, the savage wolves. Savage wolves is, was one of the primary enemies against sheep also during those times. And so when you think about wolves, any of you guys watch like the National Geographics or Discovery Channel and watch wolves have you, or even some movies paint the pictures of wolves, right? And, and wolves, one thing about wolves is they hunt in packs, right? So they are a pack animal. And what they'll do is they'll surround their prey and they will just start nipping at it. So there's a wolf every side. No matter where this animal turns, there is a wolf. And as they turn on the back, usually on the back legs, they'll just start nipping at the animal. And the animal will turn and then somebody else will nip it. Somebody else, they're just getting this animal wear, wore out, spinning around. Everywhere they turn, there is an attack, and eventually the vulnerability opens up for one of the wolves to go for the throat. And when one of the wolves finally goes for the throat, that's not a nip. That is, that is a kill shot, right? And so that one wolf will grab the throat and start crunching down. And so what's happening is the animal is suffocating. And oftentimes also, as that animal has got something around its throat, it'll fall to the ground. The other wolves don't wait for the animal to be dead. They dive in, and they start tearing and just tearing apart. This is a very, very gruesome picture that Paul is painting. But you need to understand that there are those that their hatred for God, their hatred for Christ, their hatred for Christians is such that it's not just a disagreement it is a desire for destruction. There are those that desire to destroy the church. They are agents of the devil. We know from 1 Peter 5 eight, it says, Be sober and be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may destroy. The enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking to destroy. Another very, uh, very uh, vivid picture of just the, the work that is done by these savage animals. Uh, you know, wolves, they aren't, uh, they aren't by nature uh, desirous to be uh, like scavengers. They, they want the fresh kill right? They are carnivores. They want meat. They want the fresh kill. Yeah, they'll eat other things if they have to, but, but they are savage. They destroy. The, the, the picture back uh, during Nero's reign when he was persecuting Christians, one of the things he would do to persecute Christians is he would wrap them up in animal skins and release the wild dogs to what the word used is worry them to death. And so that's what these wolves would do is they would actually just, as, with, the, with the picture of like a sheep, they would just absolutely destroy and, and tear them to death. 
So it's, it's not really even like uh, total suffocation. Usually the animal is, is dead by just being shredded apart by these animals just going at it. And so really how the devil attacks is these attacks come from all directions. And really as a Christian, when the attack comes from all different directions, everywhere around, it's just sometimes you can get so tired of turning around and just wondering where the attack is going to come from next. And that's when you're vulnerable. And so Paul is telling the elders that you need to be on guard for yourselves and for the flock because these attacks are real. These attacks are here. So I know uh, just in, in thinking about even times past with uh, my deployments to Iraq where when you are complacent is when you're most vulnerable. And so the enemy plays on that also and tries to, to wear you down and get you complacent. If you think that you are strong and you don't have to guard yourself in a certain area, that's probably where you're weakest. Recognizing and understanding your dependence on God, on the Holy Spirit, and on His Word is essential. Prayer is a huge part of that. I talked about reading God's word, let's talk about prayer. Prayer is a huge part of that. One aspect of prayer, it's not only making your request known to God. It is making your request known to God. It is about expressing your adoration to God. It is about expressing your thanksgiving to God. It is about confessing your sins. But it's also about recognizing your dependency on God. When you're praying and taking somebody, something to God, you're acknowledging your dependency on God. God, this is something I can't do on my own. This is something I am not strong enough to do on my own. God, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your intervention. I need you in everything because anything you do apart from Christ, apart from seeking to glorify God, is wood, hay, and stubble at best. At the very best, anything you do apart from seeking to bring glory to God is, is stuff that's never going to account for eternity. It's separated into the wood, hay, and stubble pile and burnt up. At worst, you would be an unbeliever, and it's works of your own righteousness that you're trying to do to earn your place to God. And it is filthy rags. It is disgust before him. Nothing you can do apart from what God enables you to do, gives you the power to do, is pleasing to God. Doesn't that make sense? Because apart from God, we deserve his wrath. Everything we have, you may, before salvation, you may not have been as bad as you possibly could be, but everything you did was tainted with sin and therefore is disgust. If I had a 55-gallon drum full of water and I put an eyedropper of arsenic in it, would you drink from it? No, nobody in their right mind would drink from it. It was just a little drop of arsenic in it. You understand? Everything. So we can be morally good people. We can be raised in a Christian home. We can look good. But it, apart from Christ, everything you do is tainted with sin. And so acknowledging your dependency on God is essential. And prayer helps us do that. Among all of the other things that prayer leads us to. 
And so recognizing the defenses God has given you is essential and important for us to be helping those who God has given us as overseers. This is what our elders are pointing you to. They're calling you to spiritual maturity. We don't want Grace Community Church to be a church where it said you should have been chewing on milk or meat by now, but you're still needing milk, right? You, you, when you're first saved, I get it. You're, you're an infant, but as, just as a child is born and needs nourishment and starts eating solid foods and learns and grows, you in your spiritual life need to start chewing on solid food. You need to learn and grow. You should be chewing on steak right now, spiritual steak, not still taking in milk. And that's one of the biggest problems with churches today, with, with entire church bodies, even the leadership, even pastors is that there's babes leading babes in the best case scenario. Don't be that. Don't be a part of that. And how you do that is grabbing a hold of the resources God has given you, which is why, once again, we're here. This is how the elders of the church do this. And so we understand that those tacks will come from outside. And their goal is to tear down and destroy. But there's also attacks from within. So not only are there those attacks that are coming from the savage wolves from outside, but there will be some that raise up from within, from amongst their own midst, that will lead people astray. So you understand, like, I forget the actual technical name for this kind of sheep, but occasionally there are sheep that are prone to wander. And uh, sheep are followers, right? They've got that herd mentality. They are followers. And so if you get a sheep that is prone to be leaving the flock and just going off and exploring, oftentimes they lead other sheep with them. The other sheep will oftentimes follow. And so breaking that sheep of the habit of leaving the flock is important to the shepherds. And sometimes they can't. And so that sheep ends up being in a shepherd's pie later on because they're damaging, destructive to the rest of the flock. So understanding and knowing that there are even some that would be in the church that would proclaim the name of Christ, would... would, uh, they came out from among us, but they weren't of us. And so they may have walked like a Christian, talked like a Christian, looked like a Christian, but they weren't truly saved. And so they were easily drawn astray, and they pulled others astray with them. Some even intentionally would come in to purpose to split and divide, understanding that the devil does not want to see the church functioning well. The devil understands that he's not going to win. Maybe he thinks he's going to win. I don't know for sure. He surely, he, he, surely he's got to know he's not going to win, right? But the devil desires to do as much damage, to hurt God as much as he possibly can. And when he can turn his church away, because that's what God loves, is his church. And so that's where the attacks of the devil, who wants to render us useless, fracture us, split us, turn us against each other, turn us against ourselves. That is joyful in the devil's eyes. So let's take a look at what they do. 
So we, the church, God's people, those called upon the name of the Lord, have clear enemies that make no qualms about their desires to destroy the Christian faith. If you remember back in chapter 19, there was a man named Demetrius, and he was an idol maker, and he stirred up the crowds, right? He gathered together a a mob, and he wasn't interested in justice. He didn't take it before the courts, even though the courts were in session. He went and he found two of Paul's uh, companions, and they drug them to the square, and they were probably getting ready to just absolutely kill them right there on the spot, except for one of the the town council representatives happened to be in the area and came and interrupted and said, whoa, whoa, what's going on? You know, court's in session. If there's actually a real qualm, let's take it. Why were they so upset? Because what Paul was doing, preaching the truth, shed the light on the lie, the darkness, the deception that they were doing in making idols. It hindered his profit. He was losing money because people were turning away from idolatry. Those, some people profit off of this sinfulness, right? And so there are those that truly wish to absolutely destroy because they see it as opposition, because they are serving themselves. And it is not pleasing to serve God when you're trying to serve yourself. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. That's just the way it's going to be. When, when Christians put away sin, those that profit from sin become very frustrated in fierce oppositions. Others desire to serve themselves, and although they may not have animosity towards, unbelie- uh, towards believers, they <coughs> see believers as pawns to be used for their personal gain. And so there may not be that hatred necessarily for believers, but yet they see believers as a pawn to be used for the game. So let's talk about these false teachers. Uh, false teachers prey on the spiritually immature. That's what I was just harping about. You need to not be spiritually immature. If you are spiritually immature, you are vulnerable. You are weak and easy prey for those that seek to tear down the church. If you don't know what Scripture says, you will be trusting in others to tell you. I, I, it breaks my heart when I hear people say things like, well, I'm not very smart, so I just trust what the pastor says. He went to school. He's educated. You know what? It, there is no excuse for that. You may not be very smart, but God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. It doesn't say that those of you who are intelligent study. Those of you who are intelligent hide God's word in your heart. No, it's for all believers. It's not some some massive code that you need to break. And I'm not saying that you can be ignorant, right? Some of us have to study harder than others. In case it's not obvious to you, I am no Chris Reiser, right? Uh, Some of us have to study harder. I'm not saying Chris doesn't study hard. You may have to study harder, but it's, it's what God has given you. And he's given you his spirit. The same spirit that inspired men moved men to pen scripture. And so you have everything you need. 
But we often are prone to laziness, and we like to be immature because immaturity is easy, and it just feels good. You are vulnerable. False teachers can be persuasive and make things sound good, and they make them make sense. Often, the teaching uh, sounds right at its face value, but attacks foundational doctrines at the core. Only by studying Scripture do you see the implications of what is being taught. It can sound good. It can sound right at its face value. But when you actually peel back those layers and understand that to believe that way is actually an attack on the attributes of God or an attack on the deity of Christ, it's only through understanding Scripture that you see those things. And you are easily, you are easy prey, you are easy bait if you haven't been studying God's word, if you aren't calling out to him in prayer, if you aren't faithfully attending church and hearing the preaching of God's word. This is where the elders who are supposed to be guarding you against these things are are able to give you these things. It's very important. False teachers uh, are extremely destructive. Paul is particularly uh, expressing concern for those who would uh, proclaim a different Jesus, a different spirit, and a different gospel. 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that as the, spirit, uh, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, you, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity uh, of, de- of the yeah, devotion to Christ, For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, uh, you bear this uh, beautifully. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. I am amazed that you are so quickly... uh, uh, distrusting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. So understanding that Paul is giving these warnings, it is very essential that you know who God is. You know God's word and what he is telling you about Christ. He is fully God and fully man, co-equal in the Trinity, Go really, I hope if you, hopefully some of you sat in on the church service. I love Chris opens with this. If you didn't, you're going to get a dose of this, really. And so I won't go horribly far into that. But understanding any attack on the deity of Christ is a different God. Any attack on the deity of Christ is a different God. Some like the Jehovah's Witnesses, Judaism. Uh, Unitarianism, the Latter-day Saints, anything that holds to it, Arianism, is an attack on the deity of Christ, plus. And so understand that, that you may sit and talk to a Jehovah's Witness. I've had conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. That's probably the more experience that in Mormons, or uh, that Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Muslims, uh, but mostly Jehovah's Witnesses, just in a huge level. And they spend a lot of their time 
saying, um, well, we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. It's like, wow, that's great. I guess you're my brother. And that's what they want. They want you to say, hey, we're, we're agreeing the same thing. But they deny the deity of Christ. They say he's a God. And one, in my conversations, I said, well, how many gods do you think there are? I'm like, well, well only one, but, but he's, you know, that's, you know, symbolic and, and whatever. And it's like, well, well gee, I take him to John 1. That's where Chris is going to stump and, and point you to a lot this morning, right? Uh, I take him to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And they said the Word was a God. That's what that means. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Well, Jesus claimed to be God. He said, I and the Father are one. And they say, well, no, that means he's saying, I and the Father are of the same mind or of one mind. We're on the same team. We, we, we are united together in this cause. That's what that means. And it really, my arguments eventually took us to the spot where I said, okay, why did they persecute? Why did they crucify him? The bottom line is they crucified him because he claimed to be God. The charge against him was heresy, that he claimed to be God. That's why he crucified him. That's when they walked away. But understanding, the words they used were so persuasive. They sounded so much like the words we use, but they meant different things. And so understanding, even, even the Muslims, a lot of the Muslims that I've met have tried to persuade me that we actually worship the same God. The split is at uh, uh, Isaac and Ishmael. But we worship the same God, and they try to draw this common unity into it. They believe that all religions are summed up under Islam. And so Christianity is actually partially right. It's just not wholly right until it comes up underneath Islam and surrenders to that. And so a lot of these religions are trying to persuade you that you're not that much different. And if you aren't trained and know what God's word says, you can easily be swayed. Uh, likewise, <clears throat> any religion that moves the work of the Holy Spirit from the role of helper to an emotion or feeling can create false sense of experiences with God and cause people to look for God outside the means he has revealed himself to us through. When emotions trump scripture, run away. This is where you would find a lot of your Pentecostal charismatic movements. Uh, remember, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word. You don't need more. Finally, the gospel of Jesus, which is the power of God to salvation. Nothing added to and nothing taken away. Many in what we would call the evangelical circle try to dumb down the gospel to make it more palpable for others to accept. And especially in the area of the depravity of man, they try to paint people as victims instead of those that are guilty. When you do that, you're changing the gospel. If you change the glory of God, some don't understand the justice of God, and so they would consider his justice unloving, and so they try to change the, the wrath of God and the nature of God and those things. When you do that, you're changing the gospel. God knows better than you do how to save people. He's given us his gospel. You get to be the messenger. You don't get to change the message. God 
does the work. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, Titus 3.5 tells us it's the, the washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit that saves. And so you aren't the one that saves. You don't have to tell an emotional story. You don't have to, to beg and plead. You have to give them the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Okay? That's what you're called to do. Don't change it. There are some that would add to the gospel. And they would say, yes, it's faith in Christ plus. Plus, you need to be baptized in order to be saved. You are baptized because you are saved. You are baptized out of obedience to salvation. But you're not baptized for your salvation. You don't, there are not enough Hail Marys and Our Fathers to get you into heaven. It's not a good versus bad. And really, any time I encounter somebody like that, if the conversation allows, I try not to be insulting, right? I'm trying to, to bring people to an understanding. But if, if it's truly a good versus bad, and you have to pay penance for your sins, then I would be, if I believe that, I'd be keeping a list. So I would ask somebody, where's your list? Well, what do you mean? I would make sure I always have at least one more checked off in the good column than I do in the bad column. So if, if, if it was based off of this, I would be keeping score to make sure I'm on the right side because all of eternity depends on it. The truth is, is a lot of times in religions like Catholicism, uh, they truly don't believe that. That's cultural, and there's oral tradition that have passed down from generation to generation. And really, when you start prying in into that, at the end of the day, they're banking on God being merciful, but they're not looking at God being just. They're banking on God being merciful. And so they're trying to do things to please God. Understand, that is an attack on the gospel when you add something to salvation it is repentance and faith. That's what it is. You don't get to contribute to it. The only thing you bring to the table in salvation is the sin that needs to be forgiven. Bottom line. And so when you, when you see somebody adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel, run. That is a false teacher. They aren't leading people to Christ. They could be, actually, they could be more destructive because they're giving people a false sense of hope and a false sense of security in Christ. And that is damning. False teachers can be uh, products of distorted interpretation of Scripture. Know how to study the Bible is important. Once again, that good plug for hermeneutics, right? March, it's the 22nd through the 23rd. I wrote it in my notes. Uh, 2 Peter 3.16 says, As also in all his letters, speaking to them in those things which are uh, some things hard to understand, which the uh, untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. The untaught and the unstable distort things that are hard to understand. Why? Because they want to be able to pretend like they understand. Right? So when uh, you start spouting facts that you don't fully understand and start arguing with that, 
and then people start challenging you, you, you have to either say, I don't know, or you have to start making up things that just sound good, and that's when you start doing false teaching, right? Chris talked about this morning really breaking down what it is that Christ is the only begotten Son. Let me tell you, right now, where I'm at with my understanding of that, I would avoid that in a conversation for me because I'm still trying to get my brain wrapped around it. And for me to start just trying to throw that in people's faces and then all of a sudden they start digging deep and I don't know what I'm talking about, but now I'm, I'm going to damage the, the gospel if, I, if I'm ignorant to this, right? And so I have to make something up. No, no, don't be ignorant. That's the point of this though, is don't be ignorant. Know the gospel. And if there's something you don't know, say I don't know and then study and figure it out because that's what I plan on doing studying deeper to figure it out. And it may be a lifetime. So be it. I've got a lifetime. And someday when I'm in glory, I'll see those things clearly. But what better things to invest your life in? Things that are just a waste? Getting your highest score on Minecraft or, or studying God's word so that you're approved workmen? You want a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble that's just burnt up? Or do, you, or do you want eternal reward? I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear, right? Some of them have ungodly ambitions. 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 8. For some men uh, straying from these things have turned aside to uh, falsities, discussion, uh, or false discussions, Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or what the matter about which they make uh, confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. And so ungodly ambitions. There are those that want to be teachers. There are those that want to be pastors, elders, preachers for the status of being that. And so therefore, again, they're ignorant to what things are and they just run headlong into it. When I came to Grace Community Church, I was an associate pastor of another church before. And when I came to Grace Community Church from that church, People of this church, elders of this church, loved me enough when I told them that I wanted to go back into ministry to say, you're not qualified. And it hurt, but I knew they were right. And then they trained me. What a joy. They loved me enough to be willing to hurt me to say, you're not qualified. But I look back, I was actually supposed to be trained to take over as the senior pastor of that church. And I look back and I think about the damage I could be doing right now as an untrained pastor of a church, just doing what traditionally has been passed on and passed on and passed on. I could be doing so much damage because being untrained. Material gain. Most of these are your health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teachers like Benny Hinn, uh, Todd White, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, and many others. So if they are teaching you, so 
listen, if you can't look at those people and see that they're faults, then, then you really need to adjust your biblical lenses, all right? They don't open the Word of God. They don't quote Scripture seldom, hardly ever. I mean, they make statements like, what makes God happy is that you're happy, so make yourself happy and God will be happy. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. They're, they're, saying, they're, they're motivational speakers throwing fluff around, right? 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3 says, But false prophets also arise among the people, just as there was also uh, be false teachers among you who will uh, secretly introduce destructive heresy, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sense, uh, sense, sensuality, and because of them, they, uh, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from a long ago is not indeed uh, idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Understand that they, they, they like, oh, send, these are the ones that are like, give me some money and we'll send you a prayer rag, right? Based off of Paul's uh, sweat rags, right? And how they were sent out and people were healed by just touching the rags. And so they say, okay, yeah, send us money and we'll give you these, these prayer rags or, or give us seed money and plant into the kingdom of God. And they're the ones flying around in their personal jets and driving their fancy cars and got Rolexes up and down their arms and just living these crazy lives, right? And people are just sending them money because they're promising a blessing, Understand, God's blessings are not for sale. Anybody that's trying to sell you a blessing from God, run away. That's false. That's a surefire way to be able to identify them. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whom trusts in the Lord. Yeah. And whoso trusts in the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the waters that extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be uh, anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Understanding that in the year of drought, these things, it's not about your prosperity here on earth. If God blesses you with wealth here on earth, use it great. Use it for his glory. If God gives you poverty here on earth, great. Use it for his glory. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness, including the starving children in Africa, including the persecuted church in China. He's given everything that's needed for life and godliness. I don't downplay that. I don't belittle that. But that's great confidence that my hope isn't built on success here on earth. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then demonic uh, deceptions, I need to plow through the rest of these. There are those that are simply possessed by the devil, right? Uh, 
First Timothy 4.1. I'm not going to read it because I need to keep moving, but that is scripture for demonic deceptions. There are those that, that truly want to deceive. Uh, so what to look for? One, in ver- uh, just in the book of Jude. Just read the book of Jude. Verse 8, they are dreamers. Those who uh, have their heads in the clouds, oftentimes telling you stories that are just too good to be true. It is like unreal, beyond real. I've, I've experienced many encounters of these people talking about guys that have had their heads cut off and then God puts their head back on and they get up and start preaching the gospel again. It's okay. When people are telling you far fetched stories, they are far fetched stories. That's what they are. These are signs of false teachers. Uh, they uh, defile the flesh, most of them in sexual immorality, but they're living for their flesh. They take advantages of the liberties that are often in, in the Christian faith and even advantage of liberties that aren't in the Christian faith. Uh, they reject authority. They don't want to be members of church bodies. They don't want to be under the law. They're the ones that want to protest against the government. Protest lawfully, right? You, you have lawful means to disagree with the government. It's okay to disagree with the government, but use the lawful means. These are the people that are, you're going to take my gun from my hand out of my cold dead, or, yeah, out of my cold dead body, right? You know, uh, these are the ones that don't like to submit under authority, and probably because they haven't submitted under the authority of Christ, uh, they revile angelic majesties. That's the one that really, I had this conversation with this guy, and he's like, I saw this guy, I saw he was demon-possessed, and I was like, come on. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because Michael, the archangel, when he was disputing with the devil against the body of Moses, didn't dare to proclaim against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel didn't dare. You understand that you are not more powerful than a demon, right? Demons are more powerful than you. That's why you need Christ. These people, they sit there and they're like, yeah, I'm not afraid of demons. I'm like, bring it on. It's like, no, no. That's, that's a sign of a false teacher. Understand that. Uh, they're grumblers. They're those that want to complain. They're, they find fault. This is in verse 16 of Jude, right? So they're grumbling. They find fault. Uh, They are those that want to cause division in the church. Understand, complaining and just being pessimistic is a sign of somebody that is tearing down. Those are false teachers. They're going to come in and they try to create their own factions, right? They're mockers. They pick on those who are doing right. They follow their own lusts, and they cause division, putting people against each other, often with uh, gossip and maligning. So I I really got to close. Sorry. Revelation, I just got to share this with you, just a quick chunk out of Revelation 2, because this is a challenge to the Ephesian elders. I want to know how they did. So Revelation 2, 2 through 4 says, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and that you put to the test those who called themselves apostles, and that they are not and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake, 
and have not grown weary. And so, yes, the church of Ephesus, they left their first love. That's for a whole different sermon. But against false teachers, they did well. They guarded against. That was their reputation in Revelation 2. All right, let's pray.